0: chapter 5, we started a message last week on uh, how to be upright in an upside-down world. And we're going to look at some things uh, from Scripture, some very specific things that the world uh, is upside-down on. And we're going to hit three, three main areas. And so one of them is uh, we're going to be identifying some of the things from Scripture, some of the moral issues of Scripture that our world is directly in opposition to according to Scripture. We want to make sure that uh, we know that uh, these things are uh, against God's Word. Now, some of them are going to be very obvious. They're probably going to be things that you're going to be like, Pastor, that goes without saying. We already know that. There may be some on here as we go through them that you'll be, you know, I never really thought of that before. That's true. They're opposing us. The second thing we're going to look at is um, uh, how, how did we get to this point? Uh, and we're going to try to see if there's some, some um, information that Scripture has for us, which there is, of how we got to this place. And then the third part of our, our or the, the thing we're going to be doing in the next several weeks here is what can we do about it? Is there something that we can be doing today to be counteracting these things and bringing things back into place where they need to be and uh, so we're going to deal with some, several topics over the next few weeks uh, as an ongoing message on this idea of uh, how to be upright in an upside-down world. And uh, the, tonight we're going to deal with, uh, I, I'm going to use a word, and when you, when you hear me say it, you're going to be like, oh, you know, that's, uh, it, the word is idolatry, all right? We're going to deal with the issue of idolatry. And, but I want you to hang on to your seats, because I think sometimes when we think of the word idolatry, we think, oh, that's the Old Testament, uh, graven images, uh, people worshiping things. Uh, tonight's message, the Lord, will, Lord willing, is going to be very, very practical. And We're going to answer some questions from Scripture uh, uh, regarding idolatry. In Second, I'm sorry, First John chapter five, in verse number twenty-one, the very last uh, message that John writes here, the very last sentence is, "Little children, keep yourselves from idols." Amen. And the question I want to bring about tonight, and I'm going to there's there's going to be um, six six different areas that we're going to look at tonight uh, specifically from scripture. Uh, that that the, the question comes up then, do we have a problem with idolatry today in 2024 as we're sitting here? Is this something that is a problem in our world? I'm going to narrow it down now. Is this a problem in our nation? Is this a problem in the area of those that are lost? And then is this a problem for those that are saved? And the answer to all of those is yes. It does exist in the day that we live. It It is a very real battle and is really foundational. I think you'll see as we get into this that this is <clears throat> one of the foundational truths that will actually lead us into some of the other issues that we will have to deal with because it has its root in idolatry an idol is is when something uh, or someone becomes more important to us than god and i know we understand that but i want to i want to i want to try to bring application to that thought for a minute all right when something or something becomes more important to me than God, or when He becomes more important to you than God, and here's here's one of the things that I think we don't understand that we may have a misnomer on, and that is this: a lot of a lot of Christians that profess to know Christ, I think, are in this boat. They go to church, uh, and they may even be faithful church members. They may be even uh, you know some of these. You look at some of these churches out and around the, the world today. They, there's a lot of people that are faithful to them, aren't they? I mean, even some of these mega churches, I'm amazed at the faithfulness of some of these people where they're not even really getting good, solid doctrine, but they come out there and they're faithful. And uh, if you were to talk to them, they would say, oh, no, I'm a good Christian. I go to church every Sunday. I tithe. I, I, uh, I, I don't have a problem with idolatry. Uh, but if we can keep this mindset, we're going to look at some very practical things, and, and I'm going to point some very practical things out regarding this thing of idolatry uh, that I hope will be a help to us in analyzing and allowing us to have a way of knowing, do I have a problem with idolatry? Am I struggling with idolatry? Uh, and so we're going to take a look at this very quickly. Uh, when we say that an idol is a person or, or uh, someone or something that will take uh, becomes more important to us than God, what we mean by that is this that it takes the position of the preeminence of Christ in our life. So, so, so to kind of narrow it in and say, okay, when we live our lives day by day, we wake up in the morning, Paul said it this way, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When Paul woke up in the morning, I feel like he woke up saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me do today? And that ought to be the desire of every Christian. we wake up in the morning, uh, I think so often times I'll have a ton of things going through my mind the moment I wake up. And if I'm not careful, I'll jump up and I'll start my day and I'll just start doing. Instead of stopping for just a few moments at the beginning of the day saying, Lord, help me today to structure my day the way that you would want me to do it. That I can get these things done. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln during the the time of the Civil War that would wake very early in the morning and, And he would spend hours in prayer. And uh, he would oftentimes be criticized for the time that he spent in prayer. And I think he's the one that made the statement, work, work, work. If I don't spend at least three hours in prayer, I'll never get it all done. Uh, The idea being that we, we make Christ the preeminent force of our life every day and say, Lord, I want to follow you every day. I want to do what you want me to do. And when idolatry creeps in is when we allow other things, other areas of our life to unseat Christ from that level of preeminence. He is not just the top of our list, he should be the list, he should be all of the list. Uh, And yet the truth is, uh, if we look at our lives and take time to look at them carefully, We go through life constantly shifting our list of priorities, don't we? At different times of life, uh, certain things become more priority to us. I'll be honest with you. When I was younger, uh, there were things that weren't a huge priority to me that as I've gotten older became much more of a priority to me because things change. I learn things and stuff. But one thing that should never change is that Christ is the preeminent one. He is to be the one that sits on the throne of your heart, that has absolute authority and rule over you, not by tyranny or dictatorship, but by a willing and a submitted will of ours to him, to gladly give him that position. So when idolatry comes into our hearts, it's when we allow something to take that position of preeminence to where something else becomes a ruling factor in our life. So it's it's portrayed by this. When something in our life begins to dictate things to us, this could be our thoughts. You know our thoughts can be an idol? If I allow my thoughts to dictate the way that I live, my time can be my idol. I can allow my time to dictate the decisions of my life. Rather than God. rather than God, Time can be an idol to us. Our resources. The things that God has put into our hands. Do we allow our resources to dictate our lives? To rule how we live our lives? The things that we spend our energy and our power and our strength in doing. And as we get older our strength depletes. Do we allow what our strength is, is wanting to do? Do we allow that to dictate how we live our lives? Our desires can be an idol. Our desires can be an idol. The things that we want to do, our actions, the things that we do uh, that stem out of all of this uh, are all part of this idea of allowing our will to unseat the preeminence of Christ. And we come under its rule. Money becomes something that is an idol to us because... We we put our trust in the fact that I have money or I don't have money. So what are some of the modern day idols in 2024? What are some modern day idols that we battle that we face? And I'm talking about when I say we, not just unsaved people. But I'm talking about even Christian people. What are some of the bat? What are some of the idols that we battle? I would say first and foremost that I see in the world today is. Uh, our identity, our identity, who we are, how we appear to people, becomes an idol to us. I want to be perceived a certain way, so I'm going to allow my desire to look a certain way. is It's going to it's going to start controlling me. It's going to it's going to it's going to affect how much money I spend on on making this look as good as I do all the time. Uh, and I'm not saying that proudly, but I mean that's that's the idea we have on it, is it not? And, and if we're not careful, the way we look, the way we appear to others can become an idol to us. It can dictate how we live our lives. Now, I don't think we ought to be a poor testimony. And I'm not certainly saying we ought to go out here and live like slobs. But what I'm saying is when that becomes the controlling thing of my life, now it becomes an idol. Uh, when What about uh, my skill level, the things that I... I, I, I like to have knowledge and I like to know things. And usually it's because of a prideful thing. We want to know more because we want to appear smart to people. We want to appear well-read. And there's nothing wrong with studying. There's nothing wrong with knowing things unless, again, it becomes the thing that dictates or gets a hold on us and rules us and causes us to live certain ways. Our career. Our career can be idle. Uh, the thing that we do for a living uh, our level of living, being, being uh, better than the Joneses idea, the mindset of trying to, uh, uh, to look a certain way, our influence, the authority that we have, the, the prestige that we have in the eyes of others can become an idol. We will, it will affect our actions. It will affect the things that we spend our time on. It will affect the things we spend our resources on. When we allow that to have a rule over us, that I want people to know that I am somebody. And so all of these things kind of come into this idea of my identity, who I am. Uh, I am fearful in in the day that we live and among our type of uh, churches that we oftentimes are guilty of being pharisaical in the sense that we work on the outside of the cup and we don't always deal with the heart. Uh, we, we, we work on the appearance so that we appear to others to be something without working on the heart. And if we are not careful, and we allow the things that are exterior to take control of us, it, it will dictate and it will become an idol for us. Uh, we'll have to have the next new car. We'll have to have the next shiny uh, purse or jewelry ladies or uh, men that have hair. Right? we got the next best hairdo or whatever the case may be. We, we begin to become uh, overly concerned with our, our presentation, our outward uh, expectation of things. And so our identity can be a, a, an idol in the day that we live. N- number two, our money. Our money can be an idol. It can become, you know, mon- money can become one of the most... Um, Controlling things in our lives? I, I, think about this. In Philippians chapter 4, I believe it is, the Bible says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When I get to the place where, if I don't have money in the bank, my faith is weak, and I'm struggling, and I'm anxious. Then am I not putting money above God and saying that my trust, my faith is based on money? I mean, if money's in the bank, I don't have to worry about paying the bills. My faith is strong then. But what about when it's not there? Is my faith still strong or was it dependent upon that money? And so I, I, I want to try to hit the nerve here because I know, I know these are things that intellectually we know them, but I want us to understand the application of them. Am I putting my trust in these things? Are these things that are, that are unseating the preeminence of Christ in my life? Uh, number three, entertainment can become an idol. Things that become more important than God in our lives. I'm amazed uh, at how important entertainment is in our world today. And again, nothing wrong with having a time away and to have a vacation with your family. And entertainment in and of itself is not a wrong thing, but it can become an idol. It can become that which we become consumed with. I'm amazed at certain times of the year, uh, well, all throughout the year, at at the importance and the money that is thrown at and the 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 advertising that is poured into entertainment uh, 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 things of, of entertainment value, uh, music concerts, sporting events, uh, areas of amusement that you can go to, the, the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that are thrown into this thing, and people will go and they will, they will act like, they, like they've had no upbringing in their life. They'll go to sporting events and act like idiots. Uh, I've watched them sit. I've watched them sit in their living rooms and get up and yell at a television set that can't even hear them, and they become consumed, consumed with entertainment. Nothing should have that much control on us, except the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul said this: "All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any." I'm not going to be I'm not going to be consumed by this thing and so you say well how do I know if, if I have these these problems in my life well what do I spend my time doing what do I spend my money doing is there a is there a driving emotional impulse that I just cannot control pushing and pushing Per, uh, uh, prodding me further along this, this route. It, it becomes almost to the point of addiction, doesn't it, this idolatry? Our, our identity, our money, our entertainment. Number four, immorality. Uh, I, I, we're all adults here. I don't have any children here, but uh, the word sex in our society is an overwhelming thing. That can become an idolatrous thing. It's everywhere we look. It's involved in everything we see. It's involved in everything we hear. And if we're not careful, our lives will be controlled by it. It'll dictate. It'll have rule in our lives. I'm amazed. I I was talking to a friend of mine a number of years ago. It's been, uh, I guess, about four or five years ago. Um, eh, Maybe six years ago now, I guess. Six years ago. Christian fellow, up in years Uh, did not have a wife but was wanting to have a wife and was looking for a a godly wife that he could date and he had gone on uh, So and you know, I you and I both know probably not a good idea, but he had seen some of these Christian Dating websites that you could go on to he filled out the profile put all this stuff in there I'm King James version. I'm this I'm that I mean just straight down the line and he got paired up with a with a few uh, ladies and dates and he came back, and he had gone on two or three of these dates, and he said, "He said, Greg, I had to end every one of them early because every single one of them were wanting to be immoral with me on the first date." And we're not talking about this coming from a lost world. We're talking about even from people who name the name of Christ and say, "I'm a Christian." We're so uh, we're so consumed, it seems like, in our society by this thing of, of immorality. It's led to. The world being upside down in contrary to what the Bible says about the subject. No wonder we have the problems we have today. I was reading an article this morning, this morning, or I'm sorry, late last night. It was late last night, of a family in Indiana. Maybe you saw it today or yesterday. A family in Indiana, Christian family, raised their kids and kid in church. The the, the child decided that they no longer wanted to be a boy. They wanted to be a girl. And wanted their mom and dad to call them by a girl's pronouns. Mom and dad said, we, are, because of our religious beliefs, we're not going to call you by girl pronouns. And DCF came in and took the child away from the family. Folks, our world is upside down. We're dealing with things that, that, that our minds have gone to this thing of idolatry so much. And, and Christians, Brother Mark and I were talking about this today, there were people who raised the alarm about this happening in the 70s and 80s. I remember reading books and writing reports on this in the 90s. And people, even Christian people, would look at him and say, You're an alarmist. It's not really happening that much. It's not happening so bad. You don't really have to, you guys are just being over the top on this stuff. Folks, we're, we're, we're reaping the consequences tonight of Christians that sat idly by and allowed these things of idolatry to creep in without even realizing that they were becoming an important thing in our hearts and our lives. Society is fashioned now by immorality. Our whole society revolves around it. I don't know what the last count was, but I heard somebody say one time uh, here a few weeks ago that they had counted 140-some different genders now that have been identified. Folks, there's something wrong with that. The Bible tells us in the very beginning God created male and female, and the image of God created he them. In fact, in the book of Romans, it talks about the fact that the man leaves the natural use it is an unnatural thing to be anything other than what God created you to be. That's unnatural. That's not, in, that's not something that you are that on the inside and it was just a biological mistake. That's what an evolutionist would say. That you're just a mistake of the universe. No, no. We are, we are a being that is created in the image of God. And somewhere along the line, God's people got to wake up and quit saying this stuff about agreeing with society on it. Comfort and leisure can become an idol. The disciples of Christ throughout Scripture were told over and over again, uh, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to have trials. And when comfort becomes the thing that we pursue, think about this, when that becomes the overwhelming thing in our life and we begin to allow it to unseat the preeminence of Christ in our life, you'll know it because what will happen is you'll begin to compromise on the truth of God's Word for sake of convenience. And this is where we're at today in a lot of our churches. We have the idol of comfort, we have the idol of apathy and leisure, and we do not want to suffer persecution for the stand that we would have to take if we were to be true to God's word. Folks, we're we're in an upside down world. We're, we're at the time we are past the time for God's people to rise up and say, enough. We're not doing this anymore. We're going to be upright In an upside-down world. And if it costs me, it costs me. I'm not going to allow my comfort, my leisure to become my idol. It's not going to have the rule over how I look at things. We've got to stand for these things. The disciples of Christ paid the ultimate price. The only one that was able to die a natural death was John, and that wasn't for lack of trying. They tried to kill him. When was the last time that we suffered? When was the last time that we compromised so we would not have to suffer? It becomes idolatrous. Technology can become an idol, uh, an idol to us. The technology itself isn't the bad thing. It's what we do with it. When our lives revolve around how many Uh, likes or pings or statements we get on our Facebook page and we can't sit silent for a few more minutes without refreshing our page or our news feed to see who else is talking to us. It becomes an idol. When it's more time that I spend on social media because I'm just consumed by it than I do studying Scripture, something's wrong or reading Scripture, or listening to, uh, to good hymns and music, or listening to preaching. Something's wrong with that. It's upside down. And somewhere along the way, God's people have got to stand upright on it. Somewhere along the line, we've got to say enough is enough. So the question is, how did we get here? How did we get here? So we're going to take some time. Let's look at Scripture. This was all kind of laying a foundation for tonight's message. Let's go to Romans chapter number 1. How did we get to this place? How did we get to this place? And and I think it's crucial for us to recognize it. If we learn how we got here, we can learn how to get back. And if we also learn how we got here, we can put some guards up to keep us from getting here again. So let's take a look at what the Bible says about it. Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 25, so bear with me. We're going to read uh, starting in verse number 16. Paul makes this statement. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. How did we get here? How did our society, how did a Christian country that was based on the principles of God's Word, who has one of the greatest constitutions this world has ever seen, that has given more religious freedom and liberty than this world has ever seen in the last 200 plus years, how did this country, who had such a noble beginning, and while it had its fair share of problems, at least it had a heart of people that were good and were seeking to become better by the authority of God's word, how in the world did we ever get to this place? How did we get to the place where even in our churches we've become idolatrous? We've brought comfort and convenience and entertainment at the expense of the preeminence of Christ. How did we get here? Paul, I think, begins in verse number 16 and 17 as we see that Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I think therein was the very first step towards us going this direction in our society among God's people. We became ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm not saying so much that maybe there was a conscious idea that we were embarrassed by it, but there at least was a neglect that we gave to it. We began to diminish the importance of preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the way, that instead of coming to the altars and praying in our churches and having cottage prayer meetings, praying for great sweeping revival among our nation, we began to become comfortable with electing officials to legislate morality. And our country went from being a, a Bible-centric uh, morality type of a nation to a governmental-centric morality-based gov- uh, society. We've gotten to the place where our morals are now set by our government and not by the Word of God. Why? Because somewhere along the line we began to neglect the importance of the gospel message. Sin is not going to get any, any better in our society unless God comes in and does a transforming work in the heart of a man. You don't legislate morality. God does a transforming work. You want to see this world become better? You want to see fewer mass shootings? Get out here and knock some doors and see people get saved. Help them to understand the value of life. Help them to understand that we were made in the image of God, that every soul is precious. Begin raising up our children with character and discipline once again. What happened? We, We neglected the importance of the gospel in our everyday living. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? I believe this was the seed. I believe this was the very beginning of the downfall. Look what it says here in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it... What is it referring to here? It is referring to the gospel of Christ, all right? For it is the, what? Power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I've told our folks many, many times... When I get into a discussion with somebody and they want to debate, maybe they don't believe in God, maybe they don't believe in uh, spiritual things, the best thing you can do is give them Scripture. It has power in it. It is what does the work. I'm thankful God gives us intellect and reason and logic and I'm certain that the Holy Spirit can through us use discussions to help bring a man's heart to understanding. But the power is not in our logic, it is not in our reasoning, it is in the truth of God's Word. And we're going to see here in just a few moments that that the result of all of this has been the fact that we have changed the truth of God because of this. Now notice he says this, It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein, this gospel message here, this power of God working through His gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God. What's the next word here? You want the world to know what's right and wrong? Preach the gospel. Why? Why? Because it's through the power of the preaching of the gospel that God's righteousness is revealed. It's how people see what is right and what is wrong. It says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall what? Live by faith. That will stop idolatry in our lives. That will keep us from taking Christ from a preeminent place in ruling our hearts to allowing our will to have its way. If I get to the place where I make this gospel message the most important thing of my life, where I begin to say I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it's the power of God unto salvation, it's going to reveal to me the righteousness of God, and by this faith that I have, I'm going to be able to live it and to do it, it began with a neglect and the importance of the gospel message. We began to become entertainment centers in our churches, community centers in our churches, social centers in our churches, clubs in our churches. And I think early on it was well-meaning. I think they intentionally did these ministries trying to do more outreach, and I think the motive was correct. But the process was we began to diminish the preaching of the gospel. The process was we began to not have as much importance on it. We were more important, it was more important for us to have time with the family down at the lake this weekend than it was to go to church. It's more important that we work that overtime and make that extra money so we could live at a little better level than it was to go to that revival meeting that week. And it was little things. And it seemingly was easy to excuse away because we would say, well, it's just this one time. But every time we did it, we were diminishing the importance. Every time, diminishing the importance. Verse 18 we see another reason, another way that we got here, another step that took place. When the, when the importance of the gospel message and its preaching became diminished, it wasn't done as much. And since the preaching of the gospel is where the righteousness of God is revealed from, then the less preaching of the gospel there is, the less righteousness of God is revealed. The less righteousness of God that is revealed is found in verse number 18. The result of that is this. For the wrath of God is revealed. Not His righteousness, but now His wrath. Against all what? Ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And so, get this, follow follow the progression. Don't miss it here. Please don't miss this. We de-emphasize the preaching of the gospel the decrease of the preaching of the gospel lowers the amount that the righteousness of God is revealed because the righteousness of God is less revealed. People are more ungodly and more unrighteous and now His wrath comes. And then I want you to notice in verse 18, it's sad enough that that took place, but notice what He says in the very end of verse number 18. Who hold the what? Truth. In unrighteousness. So it's not just people who are ignorant of the righteousness of God. It's people who well know the righteousness of God that have willingly decided to hold the truth but live unrighteously. And we wonder how we got here. We de emphasized, we neglected, we became apathetic too. We we decided that we were not going to make the preaching of the cross the paramount thing in our lives. The righteousness of God is not being revealed as it should be through a Christian's life and his testimony and his preaching. Unrighteousness and ungodliness creep in, and the wrath of God has to follow. And it's sad because the truth is not lost, it's there, it's just ignored. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. It has no effect. They've not allowed the truth of God's Word to do its work in their life. They've made a choice. Now notice what this results in verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is what? Manifests. Not only is His righteousness manifest to us, but the things that may be known of God, they're also manifest to us. In them, For God hath what? Showed it unto them. Men do not have the excuse of saying they cannot know God. It's in, every, it's in every man. He's made it known. He's made it manifest. He's given the ability for it to be done. The problem here is not, not, not the inability to see. That is not the problem. That's what I think I think a lot, a lot of times we may think, well, they just can't see it. It's not the inability to see. Verse number 20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are what? Clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That means the creation understands the Creator. There's there's something innate in every creation that that seeks after God. For a man to get to the place of a reprobate mind, a seared conscience, it is a developed lifestyle, not an inherited lifestyle. They're clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, and here are the things that they see clearly. Are you ready? Specifically, these invisible things, there's two of them he mentions. Every man sees them. They see his eternal power, and they see his Godhead. And Paul says, so that they are without excuse. They're clearly seen. They're made manifest. Every fiber, every being, every molecule of creation understands this. So it's not a problem of not seeing. If it's not a problem of not seeing, then what is the problem? If every man, no matter what the psychologists say, no matter what some guy with a bunch of letters after his name that went to a way overpaid college says, no matter what some politician sits in the government and says, no matter what scientist sits in a lab and says, the truth of God's Word is unimpeachable. These things are so. It is innate in every man. So if seeing is not the problem, then what is the problem? Let's see verse 21. Because that when, not if, we already established every man knows. Because that when they knew God, They glorified Him not as God. Right here we find in Scripture irrevocable proof that it is not a matter of man not being able to see God. The problem is they see Him all too well and choose willingly to reject Him. You say, Pastor, I can't believe our world is in the situation we're in. I'll tell you this, I can't believe we as Christians are in the situation we're in. Understand this, that it is just as possible for you and I, because of idolatry in our life, to see clearly and yet reject the preeminence of Christ in our life, as it is for any lost person to. It is something we must battle, and we must battle daily. It is something that somewhere along the line, we need to say enough is enough, and I'm going to dig my heels in, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to do anything else other than pursue the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to get back to making sure that the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus is paramount in my life, the importance of it, the righteousness of God being revealed. I want to make these things important in my life. So the problem is not a matter of seeing. It's a matter of intentional disregard. Rejection. They glorified Him not as God. Notice this in verse 21. Neither were what? Thankful. When you don't glorify God as God, you you don't really have a whole lot to be thankful for. I want you to notice this phrase. Because two things happened. They didn't glorify Him as God, which led to unthankfulness which caused, it caused, look what it says here, but became. You see that word there? They were not always vain. They became vain in their imaginations. Their hearts weren't always foolish, and their hearts were not always darkened. They became that. We cannot sit here in 2024 and say, well, it's just the way things are, Pastor. It just happened. No, it didn't. It started with being ashamed of the gospel of Christ, of de-emphasizing the importance of the preaching of God's Word. The righteousness of God was not revealed as it should have been. Ungodliness and unrighteousness crept in, and when that did, the wrath of God came. And then those that held the truth held it in unrighteousness, willingly chose to live unrighteously, regardless of the truth. They're without excuse. We're without excuse. Notice in verse 22, he says this professing themselves to be wise, they, what's that word again? They went, they became, they weren't always fools. They became fools. Willingly, they chose it. And here's how they became fools. This is what caused the the foolishness. This is what the foolishness was. And changed (coughs) the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image like to corruptible man. I want you to pause and think about that phrase for a minute. Because it is exactly what we are going through in the day we're living in, and that is this. Man is taking a holy, absolute holy, absolute righteous King of kings, Lord of lords, God of the universe, almighty, all-powerful, immutable, unchangeable, and they are bringing Him down, and making Him like a man. We're reasoning in our minds that God must think the way we do, and therefore our thoughts become our moral center. Because God understands. No, no. God is a holy God who sets the moral standard. It is our purpose in life to give him that preeminence and bring our will into subjection to his moral law. But what happened? They changed the glory. <coughs> they changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Even in our churches, especially in our churches, Those that are to be the bulwark of truth, those that are to be the pillar and ground of the truth, those that are up to to uphold the truth of God's Word are standing in pulpits and telling people, well, God understands this social issue. And it's in contradiction to the Bible, but God's heart is the important thing. Well, we're making God think like we do. We're corruptible. We are tainted by a sin nature. He is not. They changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like unto a corruptible man and to birds and four footed beasts and creeping things, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own bodies between themselves. Now notice this, and I don't want you to miss it. Please don't miss this. Verse twenty five. Who changed the truth of God into a lie? Do we see the digression that took place here? In verse 16, we just see that that there shouldn't be a a timidity of the gospel of Christ. There, There should be a boldness to proclaim it because that's how His righteousness is revealed. In verse 18, it speaks of those who hold the truth but they choose willingly to live unrighteously. But by the time we get through this entire process of declining in the moral, in the immorality of idolatry, by the time we get to this place of deceiving God, taking Him from His place of preeminence in our life and pushing Him to the back and taking those things that we idolize and worship and follow, And allow to rule us. By the time we get to that point, we have now changed, follow me, the truth of God into a lie. Our whole series is this. Living upright in an upside down world. What do we mean by an upside down world? A world that is taking God's truth And made it a lie. And we can say, those unsaved people, I can't believe they did that. Folks, Christians are as much to blame, if not more so, for the condition of our society today as any lost person ever was. For it is not the responsibility of the lost to be the pillar and ground of the truth. God doesn't come to the lost and rebuke them for living in their sins. They're dead in their trespasses and says they don't know any better. But those of us that have the truth in unrighteousness, we're the blame. We're the ones that yes, in 2024, are often practicing idolatry. And the result of it is we have allowed the truth of God, not only not allowed, we've been the cause of the truth of God becoming a lie. What's the result of changing the truth of God into a lie? Paul tells us. Now they worship. They bow down to the altar of. They lift it up. In their lives. They worship the creature more than the Creator. You wonder where racism, discrimination comes from. Worshipping a, cre- a creature more than the Creator. You wonder where the environmental love for nature And this green energy stuff comes from worshiping the creature more than the creator. I'm not trying to be overly political here, but we look at the craziness in our society today. You wonder where the genders come from? All these crazy genders they're coming out with? Worshiping the creature more than the creator. You say, yes, our world is wicked. Can I tell you this? As God's people, we've been responsible and even contributing factors to it. As we've allowed idolatry to creep into our lives, we've changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped. And then I want you to notice this not only do they worship this creature more than the Creator, the Bible says here also that they serve the creature, they come under its rule. The creature now becomes the moral authority, no longer God. efforts that that were made to humanize God and bring Him to a man's level. To try to make it sound that while I do have a God who is a high priest, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, that is familiar and is not untouched by the feelings of our infirmities, which I'm glad He is and can relate to us, that does not mean that He thinks like us and acts like us. Because He does not have a sin nature like we have. When we begin to humanize God, we begin to change the truth of God into a lie. When we change the truth of God into a lie, we begin to worship the creation more than the Creator. Things that I want to do rather than things that He wants me to do. I'm worshiping myself more than him. I'm worshiping my desires. And I'm I'm going to I'm going to leave you with this. <coughs> how do I know? How do I know if I have an idol in my life? I'll tell you one of the best ways I know to do it. Sit down with a a paper and a pen one day, maybe tonight before you go to bed, maybe tomorrow. Write a couple of headings at the top of the page. Time, money, desires, and write under those things what it is that I spend most of my time on. What do I spend most of my money on? Besides the cost of living, you understand what I mean by this. What is it that I spend most of my my residual money on? My my resources? I was talking to uh, a young lady this week who was wanting to do some things in her life, but she had some other things that she was struggling with which one was going to be the higher priority in her life. And she, she was dating a young man and she's wanting to start a little business. And I was talking with her a little bit and I said, you know, she said, I don't know if I'm going to have time to do all that I want to do to start this business. And I said, it really comes down to priorities because I found this to be true, not only in everyday life, but in our, our spiritual lives. We always find time. To do the things that we want to do. We do. We may have to unseat a priority that we have had in our lives. And I told her that. I said, the question is not, do you have the time to start a business? The question is, which one is your priority? I said, you know, you could go ahead and tell your boyfriend you're not going to have a boyfriend for a while and start your business while you get it off the ground. Oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. I spent too much time with him. Then he's your priority. And I'm using that as an illustration because I think so often in our spiritual lives, we we don't sit down and prioritize and think, is there something in my life that has more preeminence over me? I'm worshiping that. I'm serving that. I'm bowing to its will in my life more than I am to Christ. Folks, somewhere along the line, we've got to get this upside down world turned back around. (coughs) And it's not going to happen as long as we as God's people continue to contribute to the downward slide of changing the truth of God into a lie. he said, Pastor, I, I, I would never intentionally do that. I'm not saying we do it intentionally. But whether intentional or by lack of concern over it, we have contributed to it. Somewhere along the line, God's people have got to stand up and say, we are the pillar and the ground of the truth. This book is what it is. It is the true Word of God. It is our moral authority. It is what we stand on. And not only are we not going to be moved by it, but we're going to not be ashamed of it. We're going to get out here and we're going to make it the priority of our lives to preach the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's through that that the righteousness of God is revealed. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, I...